0: Hello. This is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. This is Friday, the third day of March in the year of our Lord 2023, and today I will be talking about the most dangerous powder keg in the world right now. That is the Crimean Peninsula, where Russia has its Black Sea Fleet, and where Ukraine has desires of reconquest. Crimea has very important strategic interest to both sides in this war. And it's therefore a powder keg that could explode in nuclear war at any time. I know that I talk about World War III and nuclear conflict a lot, but I'm not the little boy who cried wolf because there really is a wolf out there right now. Crimea, as Vladimir Putin has said a few times, has more than military importance to Russia. Militarily, it is home to Sevastopol Naval Base, which is Russia's only warm water base. It provides Russia with a naval route from the Black Sea into the Mediterranean and from there into the Persian Gulf. It also has the military significance to Russia of preventing the West from using it to stage intermediate-range ballistic missiles as part of its plan to surround Russia. Crimea has spiritual significance to Putin, as he has said quite often it is the location of the baptism of St. Vladimir, who converted to Christianity then brought the religion of Orthodox Christianity to Ukraine because he was born in Kiev. Then he brought it to all of Russia. That was around 987. And at that time, there was no Ukraine and Russia because it was just Russia. Without going into the entire history, it's important to note that in 1783, Catherine the Great took Crimea back from the Ottoman Empire where it remained. Until the death of Stalin in 1954, Stalin's successor, Nikita Khrushchev, decided to cede it to the Soviet Socialist Republic of Ukraine, which became independent after the Soviet fall in 1989. But then it was just a Russian state, so he knew Russia would still control it in 2014. After the fall of the pro-Russian government in Ukraine, Russia Recaptured Crimea, so Crimea is important to Russia for reasons I've stated, but it's also important to Ukraine. The capture of Crimea would mark the end of Russia as a great power. It would be a crushing, humiliating defeat that Putin could not possibly survive. Russia would no longer have a presence in the Black Sea and would no longer be a threat to the Ukrainian ports there. It would make future Russian attacks much more difficult. It would follow then. That the Russian Federation would be weakened to the point of possible disintegration. Under Secretary of State Victoria Newland. Yes, folks, she's the one from the Nord Stream report, you might remember. She is now saying that the U.S. is supporting Ukrainian strikes on Crimea, which drew a stern reminder from Moscow that the Crimean Peninsula is a red line, the crossing of which will have consequences. Zelensky, in a news conference, said that. Ukraine is preparing a large operation for the deoccupation of Crimea. I pray that U.S. leaders are unwilling to continue poking the nuclear bear, but evidence is, unfortunately, to the contrary. It seems that Vladimir Putin is just as determined to maintain Russia's position as a great power as the West is determined to end it. It's hard for a Westerner to understand what Crimea means to Russian soul. For example, during the siege of Crimea by the French, British, and Turks back in 1854 and 55, and the Germans and Romanians in 1941 and 42, the Red Army lost more men than the U.S. has lost in all of its wars and all of its history combined. Here is a comparison that makes Crimea's importance easy to understand. A quote from an unknown Russian quote in The Last Resort. America would use nuclear weapons to save Hawaii and Pearl Harbor, and if we have to, we should use them to save Crimea, end quote. So Crimea presents the greatest threat of nuclear catastrophe that humanity has faced, greater than the Cuban Missile Crisis? Yes, yes, because the two sides are already at war. There were no international powers back then, encouraging the U.S. and the Soviet Union to escalate the conflict and launch those missiles. Kennedy made a very wise and mature decision to remove U.S. strategic missiles from northern Turkey, where they could be seen from Russia on a clear day. Khrushchev removed those missiles from Cuba. Nuclear brinksmanship, yes, but the players were wise. They cared about survival of their countries, not so. In today's struggle, this war is very difficult to understand. It's extremely difficult to learn the truth about what is happening. Battle lines are always fluid in war, always changing from day to day. That is what the term fog of war means. In addition to the fog of war problems, which obscure the battlefield, propaganda is as intense as it has ever been. Reporting on the war by Western media seems to be completely controlled by U.S. government. I don't know if that's true or not. But it seems that way to me. It's hard to find any information about who is winning this war. There is so much propaganda to benefit the Ukrainian side that I look to other sources, such as Al Jazeera, Russia today, and here in America, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Colonel McGregor was instrumental in the tank battles that destroyed the Iraqi Revolutionary Guards during the first Gulf War. He is an experienced soldier. He was almost national security advisor at one point in his career. He provides experienced and useful information about conditions on the battlefield. And like me, he wonders about the U.S. interest. In one of the never-ending Eastern European conflicts, the only reason must be the U.S. desire and intent to maintain a unipolar world by whatever means necessary. To see what I mean by that, just look. At the Project for a New American Century, Google that term or go to the project's website to get the picture or you could read Zbigniew Brzezinski's book, The Grand Chessboard*. That would be the best explanation. The effort to surround, isolate, weaken, and disempower Russia is a central part of that effort. But it is failing in many ways. Sanctions were imposed to destroy the Russian economy, isolate Russia from the rest of the world, but sanctions appear to have caused more damage to the U.S. economy and those of Western nations than Russia's. For example, Russian oil and gas revenue is higher than it was before the war. China and Russia buy all the oil that Russia can send to them on its fleet of 600 tankers. Sanctioned countries are working on it. We'll reportedly soon have workaround systems in place to avoid being shut out of SWIFT, which is the international Settlement system. The only thing the sanctions appear to have accomplished is to heighten international tension and conflicts and make the U.S. appear to be an international bully, using its world reserve currency status to bully others into compliance with its wishes. So, if the sanctions have failed, then who is winning this war? It's very hard to tell because nothing coming from the U.S. can be believed. We know for certain that Russia is pounding the Ukrainian army and its infrastructure with missiles. From North Korea, drone technology from Iran and Turkey, one thing does seem clear, though. That is that if the sanctions are failing or have failed and the Russians really are winning on the battlefield, then only one choice remains for the U.S., and that choice is to escalate the conflict by sending more and better weapons. If that is true, and it seems to be, then how can the whole world be lined up behind the U.S.-supported Ukrainian side? You are correct in your reasoning that both things cannot be true at once. The truth is that only the U.S. and NATO allies are all in on Ukraine. The rest of the world, except for U.S.-supported Japan and South Korea, are openly trading with Russia in defiance of the sanctions. Even India, trying to play both sides in every conflict. Even India buys Russian oil in clear defiance of the sanctions. Is another way this war with Russia. The U.S. is fighting has damaged U.S. security. In addition to debt and forced confiscation of the labor of American citizens, it is dangerous depletion of American munition supplies. It takes years, not months, or weeks to replenish stockpiles that have been depleted. Many munitions plants in the U.S. have been closed since the fall of the Soviet Union more than 30 years ago. They can be restarted, but in years, not months, remember, When the U.S. lost its Pacific fleet at Pearl Harbor, it replenished even greater, but it took two years to do so. It is worth it. Is it worth it then? Is it worth it? Is it worth robbing hardworking Americans and putting the U.S. in a dangerously depleted state, all to preserve one of the world's most corrupt regimes? Obviously, there's more to it than that, as the U.S. had set itself on a course to surround and isolate Russia and is now in the process of doing the same thing with China. It's hard to see all this maneuvering and come to an honest opinion about it because if you are like me, you will never see your views expressed in the American media. Americans just seem to buy into or go along with whatever a prevailing group thinks seems to be dominant. At the time, the media presents the, quote, facts to us as the government delivers the facts to be presented to the American people. Perhaps I'm just rambling now. But I see it every day in my law practice. If you talk to the average person in what the old news shows used to call man-on-the-street interviews, you would probably find a deep interest in many things, but not much real knowledge of history, economics, and government. Let me give you a real-life example. From just last Saturday, my city of Memphis, Tennessee, my wife and I were driving back From an early Saturday trip to the office when passing through one of the city's busiest intersections, we encountered a demonstration. This demonstration was not a riot, although the people were quite enthusiastic about their cause. It was well-disciplined. There were signs all expressing support for Ukraine. There were many Ukrainian flags to go with the signs. My wife was driving, so I had a chance to pay close attention. I noticed that all the people were white which might be a bit unusual in a 70% black city. The other thing I noticed that I found unusual is that they were almost all white women, mostly 20 and 30-somethings. There were a few white men, but not many. My estimate is about 25 or 30 people in two groups split on each side of the busy street. I was left to wonder how much they knew about Ukrainian and Russian history or the history of Europe. For that matter, perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps those people... We're not victims of mindless government propaganda, but instead we're well-educated in the current conflict. They just wanted to express support for the Ukrainian people in their struggle against Putin's brutal war of aggression, perhaps, perhaps, but I doubt it. Reports show that Americans are currently very concerned about political bias in news coverage. That comes... Because the biggest story in many years, Seymour Hersh's story about the U.S. blowing up the Nord Stream Pipeline, not a peep from the media until finally. Yesterday, the Washington Post printed the story, but no investigation of the allegations. What major media outlet will present a balanced, impartial look at the Ukraine war? The warmongers have spent trillions getting the U.S. into pointless, unwinnable wars, but maybe, just maybe, the people are getting sick of the price. Finally, folks, who will utter a kind or even impartial word about Russia or Vladimir Putin in the U.S. media today? No one. Since the U.S. president views Putin as a devil, I guess that makes me advocatus diaboli, the devil's advocate. At least that's the way I see it. Until next time, folks, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.